Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. You'll also find our new t-shirts in the shop, including podcast shirts and quote shirts from your favorite classic novels. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes. But also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show, and YouTube, where we have special behind-the-narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear what inspired your favorite classic authors to write their novels— and what was going on in the world at the time, check out the Bite at a Time books behind the story podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note, while we try to keep the text as close to the original as possible, some words have been changed to honor the marginalized communities who've identified the words as harmful and to stay in alignment with Bite at a Time books' brand values. Today we'll be continuing The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. Chapter 15. Christine, Christine. Raoul's first thought, after Christine Daae's fantastic disappearance, was to accuse Eric. He no longer doubted the almost supernatural powers of the Angel of Music, in this domain of the opera in which he had set up his empire, and Raoul rushed on the stage in a mad fit of love and despair. Christine! Christine! He moaned, calling to her as he felt that she must be calling to him from the depths of the dark pit, to which the monster had carried her. Christine! Christine! And he seemed to hear the girl's screams through the frail boards that separated him from her. He bent forward. He listened. He wandered over the stage like a madman. Ah, to descend. To descend into that pit of darkness, every entrance to which was close to him for the stairs that led below the stage were forbidden to one and all that night. Christine! Christine! People pushed him aside, laughing. They made fun of him. They thought the poor lover's brain was gone. By what mad road, through what passages of mystery and darkness known to him alone, had Eric dragged that pure-souled child to the awful haunt with the Louis-Philippe room, opening out on the lake? Christine! Christine! Why don't you answer? Are you alive? Hideous thoughts flashed through Raoul's congested brain. Of course, Eric must have discovered their secret, must have known that Christine had played him false. What a vengeance would be his. And Raoul thought again of the yellow stars that had come the night before and roamed over his balcony. Why had he not put them out for good? There were some men's eyes that dilated in the darkness and shone like stars, or like cat's eyes. Certainly albinos who seemed to have rabbit's eyes by day had cat's eyes at night. Everybody knew that. Yes. Yes, he had undoubtedly fired at Eric. Why had he not killed him? The monster had fled up the gutter spout like a cat or a convict, who everybody knew that also, would scale the very skies with the help of a gutter spout. No doubt Eric was at that time contemplating some decisive step against Raoul, but he had been wounded and had escaped to turn against poor Christine instead. 
Such were the cruel thoughts that haunted Raoul as he ran to the singer's dressing room. Christine! Christine! Bitter tears scorched the boy's eyelids as he saw scattered over the furniture the clothes which his beautiful bride was to have worn at the hour of their flight. Oh, why had she refused to leave earlier? Why had she toyed with the threatening catastrophe? Why toyed with the monster's heart? Why, in a final access of pity, had she insisted on flinging, as a last sob to that demon's soul, her divine song? Holy angel in heaven blessed, my spirit longs with thee to rest. Raoul, his throat filled with sobs, oaths, and insults, fumbled awkwardly at the great mirror that had opened one night before his eyes to let Christine pass to the murky dwelling below. He pushed past groped about, but the glass apparently obeyed no one but Eric. Perhaps actions were not enough with the glass of the kind. Perhaps he was expected to utter certain words. When he was a little boy, he had heard that there were things that obeyed the spoken word. Suddenly, Raoul remembered something about a gate opening in the Rue Scribe, an underground passage running straight to the Rue Scribe from the lake. Yes, Christine had told him about that, and when he found that the key was no longer in the box, he nevertheless ran to the Rue Scribe. Outside in the street, he passed his trembling hands over the huge stones, felt for outlets, met with iron bars. Were those they? Or these? Or could it be that air hole? He plunged his useless eyes through the bars. How dark it was in there. He listened. All was silence. He went round to the building and came to bigger bars, immense gates. It was the entrance to the Cour de l'Administration. Raoul rushed into the doorkeeper's lodge. I beg your pardon, madame. Could you tell me where to find a gate or door made of bars, iron bars opening into the Rue Scribe and leading to the lake? You know the lake I mean. Yes, the underground lake under the opera. Yes, sir, I know there's a lake under the opera, but I don't know which door leads to it. I've never been there. And the Rue Scribe, madame. The Rue Scribe. Have you never been to the Rue Scribe? The woman laughed, screamed with laughter. Raoul darted away, roaring with anger. Ran upstairs, four stairs at a time. Downstairs, rushed through the whole of the business side of the opera house, found himself once more in the light of the stage. He stopped, with his heart thumping in his chest. Suppose Christine Daye had been found. He saw a group of men and asked, I beg your pardon, gentlemen. Could you tell me where Christine Daye is? And somebody laughed. At the same moment, the stage buzzed with a new sound, and amid a crowd of men in evening dress, all talking and gesticulating together, appeared a man who seemed very calm and displayed a pleasant face all pink and chubby-cheeked, crowned with curly hair and lit up by a pair of wonderfully serene blue eyes. Mercier, the acting manager, called the Vicomte de Chagny's attention to him and said, This is the gentleman to whom you should put your question, Monsieur. Let me introduce my Freud, the commissary of police. Ah, Monsieur le Vicomte de Chagny, delighted to meet you, Monsieur, said the commissary. Would you mind coming with me? And now, where are the managers? Where are the managers? Mercier did not answer, and Remy the secretary volunteered the information that the managers were locked up in their office, and that they knew nothing as yet of what had happened. 
You don't mean to say so. Let us go up to the office. And Monsieur Myfroid, followed by an ever-increasing crowd, turned toward the business side of the building. Mercier took advantage of the confusion to slip a key into Gabriel's hand. This is all going very badly, he whispered. You'd better let Mother Jiry out. And Gabriel moved away. They soon came to the manager's door. Mercier stormed in vain. The door remained closed. Open in the name of the law, commanded Monsieur Myfroid in a loud and rather anxious voice. At last, the door was opened. All rushed into the office on the commissary's heels. Raoul was the last to enter. As he was about to follow the rest into the room, a hand was laid on his shoulder, and he heard these words spoken in his ear. Eric's secrets concern no one but himself. He turned around with a stifled exclamation. The hand that was laid on his shoulder was now placed on the lips of a person with an ebony skin, with eyes of jade, and with an astrakhan cap on his head, the Persian. The stranger kept up the gesture that recommended discretion, and then at the moment when the astonished Viscount was about to ask the reason of his mysterious intervention, bowed and disappeared. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. Again, my name is Brie Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow for the next bite of The Phantom of the Opera. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com and check out the shop. You can check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the rest of the links for our show. We'd love to hear from you on social media as well.